Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Delighted today to be joined by Anne Elliott from Anne Elliott Hospitality Consulting. Hi, Anne. Hi, nice to speak to you, Simon. You well? I'm great, thank you. Yeah, really good. Good, good. So you are a hospitality strategist, connector and advisor, which is um, a bit of a a mouthful of a job title. So we'll find out a bit more about what that means and what you do. Yeah. But for those that maybe are listening that don't know you, Anne, be good for you to give us a bit of career background, history and how you got to running your own consultancy business. Great, thanks. Uh, I've been in uh, hospitality and leisure for absolute years. I joined Whitbread in 83. Uh, I worked on Heineken and Stella Brands. I then became an operator. I ran 280 pubs to Whitbread in the north. And I was marketing director for both Beef Eater and Pizza in my time there. So I've been an operator and uh, a marketer, which is very, very useful to have. In 2001, so nearly 20 years ago, I set up on my own as a consultant, really, focusing mainly on insight, but then developed into PR and doing broader marketing roles and built the agency up to about 20 people which was great. I loved it. And we worked with such a huge variety of clients, B2B, B2C, education, anything, anything really where the operator sold food and drink or the supplier uh, was involved in food and drink. Uh, And then in July this year, I closed the agency. We merged it with Fleet Street and Mark Stretton, which has been brilliant. And I reset myself up, reestablished myself as a, an independent consultant again. So it's come full circle, full circle, which is brilliant. And I love it. I'm a non-exec at Wilder Social and I'm a non-exec at Hollandwood House. And I am a director at Fleet Street and I partner with David Reed at Prestige Purchasing. Awesome. It's good to hear that you're so passionate about it as well. I always like speaking to people that love what they do. It it makes getting up every morning a little bit easier, especially in the times that we've had over the last couple of months. So so interesting times then to go back into kind of consultancy in the hospitality arena. Clearly, we've come out of a lockdown. We've got certain, as we speak, parts of the country that are in different tiers of lockdown that I think people are still struggling to get their head around exactly what those different tiers mean and if you're in or out or if you can travel in and out if we kind of assume that at some point hopefully in the near future we'll be moving out of this and things will be a little bit more relaxed what in your mind does the future of hospitality look like where where's it heading what things do you think we've we've learned or behaviors even that are becoming ingrained in this period that will continue through i think that The short term, and by the short term, I'm thinking the next six months, certainly until Easter, then I think it's pretty dire. Um, And I'm a very optimistic person. I'm a glass half full person or fully full. uh, And I feel very worried about the sector. And I feel very, very worried about restaurants and pubs and bars in tier two and tier three. I think if a full lockdown comes, then at least we can see some financial support for restaurants and, and pubs and bars that are having to close. But at the moment, I think it's dire. And I'm I'm really worried about those operators that are going to have to close in London because they've just had a dramatic fall in bookings. So in the short term, I'm, I'm really, really worried about it. And I also have a, I run a, an Airbnb, uh, our house is an Airbnb, and I can see it day to day and what's happening with our bookings as well. So and also Christmas is, is such an important part of the trading year. And obviously that's just not going to happen this year. So I worry about that. So 
I am I'm d- just deeply concerned about the set for the next six months and you just hope things get sorted by Easter. People are not going to stop eating out. I genuinely don't think that people will stop eating out, whether it's going out for brunch at weekends or whether it's I just want to nip out from McDonald's or let's go out, I don't want to cook at home or you know, I'm fed up with everything here. I think that will continue. And so I don't see habits changing. It's just the location of those habits might change. In the city centres, really, where you've got people going in daily now, I can see them going into an office twice a week, three times a week. And so, yes, they might have a coffee and a sandwich when they're in then. But the other days, they're going to be local. And now they're going to go out to their local pub or their local restaurant. I think the chances are that they will, or they'll get a delivery. You know, you'll get a delivery from Pret with your with your coffee and your sandwiches. So I think where people eat and how they eat and drink out will change, but I think people still want to do it. It's just part of the psyche. So in the long run, I think it will recover. It'll be slow. I think it might be you know, two years before we even go back to where we were before, but it will recover because people are very resilient and they like eating and drinking out. And I think for most people you speak to now, the thing they miss most or missed most during lockdown was being able to contact with friends. And that's what you do in the pub and that's what you do in the restaurant. So I think that's a real human need. And so it will recover. So I I think, yeah, patience, but it's very difficult. It's very difficult when your business is going under. And those businesses that were rapidly expanding and had funding from PE and VCs, it's going to be a very tricky time. Yeah, yeah, I, I tend to agree. And it's interesting just coming back on a couple of those points you mentioned, certainly in the big cities where there was that explosion of coffee shops, casual dining, all sorts of things going on. Do you think that will move more local? So actually people will look at what they may have classed as as secondary locations now become even more important to have your brand there in the future rather than a big consolidation in the the big cities across the country? I think it's going to happen. I think it's just inevitable. I've been working from home and I popped into Winslow and Buckingham, which are near me more than I have in the last five years, just in the last five months. So I think that has got to happen. And we've got coffee shops in Buckingham. We haven't got a coffee shop in Winslow, but I can see I can see those smaller outlets opening up and being flexible. So they will offer click and collect, they will offer delivery and they'll offer a sit-down service. So I think there'll be an opportunity for entrepreneurs locally to be able to do it. And as long as they can make the economics stack up, I think there'll be an opportunity for people to do more of what Lounges has been doing, which is open in those tertiary towns, I suppose, and open in secondary destinations and have lower rent per sales percentages, you know, down well below 10%. And I think they'll find the economics could possibly work on lower turnovers, lower rent, lower labour costs. And I think, yes, they'll move out. They'll have to move out. If they're going to expand, they're going to have to move out because city centres are just not going to be able to sustain the numbers. In a couple of other podcasts, we've kind of talked about that it's been the perfect storm for innovation. So in troubled times, you tend to find that innovation goes through the roof because bureaucracy diminishes in companies. They want to get things through, you know, online channels, delivery channels, etc. Do you think, and it's kind of something that I've been playing with in, in my mind around this sector and what it looks like, we'll see kind of new concepts to drive innovation, maybe some consolidation within the market, but also more more collaboration. And there's been, you know, the supermarkets have worked together through the pandemic to try and help us through. But actually there might be 
different types of hospitality that merge with different retailers or have used some of their over space? Do you think we'll see some of those kind of trends start to come through? Uh, I think they one of the, the great CEOs who've come out of this sector uh, has been Pano at Pret. And if you listen to what he said, nothing is off the table. And I think most CEOs and operators are thinking exactly that nothing is off the table. They will consider collaborations. They'll consider innovation. They'll be working differently. I think absolutely nothing can be ignored or not considered. So I think the best operators will will survive as much as they possibly can, and they will be considering how they can work with others and how they can take cost out, how they can be innovative. And I think some of the, the great innovations that have come out of this, I mean, Cota Home, I think, has been amazing. I think Pizza Pilgrims, what they've done with Make Their Own Pizzas, I think Pret again with their coffee offer, have been very, very innovative. And it's given them a chance to try, honestly, with very low risk. And I think you'll see a lot more of that. The big problem comes, of course, if, if we do have another lockdown and there's nobody around. But I think whilst there, there are people around and they're working or shopping or, or whatever, they will do everything they possibly can to be innovative and, and get those customers in. It's a very, I find it a very collaborative sector anyway. I set up a WhatsApp group for operators right at the beginning of lockdown. And the conversations there are very, very collaborative about how they can work together. So they're, they're talking to one another. They've got to take cost out. And if you're a 30 to 40 size of chain and you've got the same overhead base as a chain of 100, you've got to be thinking, how can we merge and have three or four businesses together with shared overhead? I think that's that's just one of the things that's got to be on the agenda. So it wouldn't surprise me to see anybody merging with anybody else, even if it's just on um, a structural level and an overhead level. So I think innovation is absolutely going to be forefront for everybody. And, and as a customer, that's only a good thing because clearly we'll we'll see the benefit of either enhanced products, new products coming to market, different types of offerings, different types of outlets yeah. or outlets within outlets. So we could come out of this invariably with with less overall uh, brands, let's say, but actually as a consumer with different choices within those brands or more exciting choices. Yeah, I think they're going to be fewer just just because of the very very nature of what's happened. So I think there will be fewer brands, there'll be fewer sites. I think what will be interesting is to see what the longer term impact of something like Eat Out to Help Out will have, because people will come out. I mean, what Eat Out to Help Out proved is people will come out and they will eat if the value is there. I mean, you couldn't get into places during August. So I think for lots of companies, they're going to be thinking, well, I've given 50% off Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I have been rammed. What happens if I give 25% off? You know, at what point does it not become economically uh, uh, profitable? But I think they'll be thinking about all of those sorts of innovations. How do I get value to people who will patently come out and still make money? So I think you're right. I think the consumer has to win out and will win out at the end, even though because there'll, there'll be so many more innovations, more entrepreneurs, more local sites. And I think it might bring life back into some town centres, which has to be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a couple of local pubs around by us in Shrewsbury that are now offering. You can go and work there for the day and oh. use use the Wi-Fi, get free tea and coffee, I think, yep. for, I don't know, eight, ten quid. And yep. they even give, give you a pint at the end of the day when you've, yeah. you've done all your hard work. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yep. all, all that stuff is, it's there, it's open, it's being heated, it's 
there's people in there. They've they've got to open the premises anyway. So why wouldn't you try and pull people in? So yeah, yeah I'm I'm fearful like you, short term, longer term. I think there'll be some really interesting things that yes. you know, consciously we've not even thought about come through. Yeah, I think be, so. Which would be great to see. And I think as well, you know, for those people who are working at home, it's fine. You know, it's fine. But actually two or three days of working at home, I think you could go stir crazy. So I think there's lots of opportunity for people and operators think about um, those that work at home and, and entice them in, even if it's just for two or three hours to have a break in the day. If you're only 10 or 15 minutes away and you can have a bit of a break, have a coffee, sit there and work for a couple of hours, why wouldn't you do it? So I think there's lots of opportunity. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I assume tech will play a big part in this. So you've we've touched on people using things like Deliveroo and different mechanisms or outlets to push things out. But I assume tech will play a big part in their future thinking for innovation in terms of how they communicate messages to customer base or grow their customer base to do that. Um, maybe even how they operate within the premises. You know, somebody said to me during the crisis that they had a digital plan, a two-year digital plan, and they had implemented that digital plan in two months. So I think what you've seen is a lot of operators moving incredibly quickly with tech uh, and using digital. And I think it's they're looking for tech across the whole of the consumer journey. So it's how can I build a database that um, I can use effectively, I can segment and I can communicate effectively with customers. How can I use that to get them in when they come in? You just look at what's happened with track and trace. When they sit down on the table, how can I do order and pay? How can I then send them something which asks them about their experience? I think the whole of the customer journey will be tech orientated. And a market director said to me before, what's been brilliant, this is before tier two in London, is that I probably had 5%, 10% of my tables booked before the pandemic. I've now got 95% of my tables booked. So the information it's given me on my customers has been phenomenal. So if you link that up on a, on a, a database and you've got your single customer view and you can see everything about your customer, it means you can really, really target your communication to them and make sure that your offer to them is very relevant and that's going to be more engaging, more interesting to customers. So I think the tech just in the marketing space that has come on a pace and, and that's going to be more prevalent. And then I think you've got all the tech that's going to happen back of house and in offices, you know, the, the whole way along, it has to be brought in in order to help I think deliver that that value to the customer and ensure the operator still makes money so to me it's it's absolutely vital and I you know access started to buy companies years ago in our space in order to integrate all sorts of things property uh, bookings back of house systems a zonal equivalent if you like so they've started that process but I think there'll be more tech companies joining together to present one tech journey, if you like, to operators. And there are people looking at that now. How do I make sure as an operator I've got everything in one place and I can see it? So it, to me, it's huge. And, and I think some people have done brilliantly, like Harry, Yumpingo, Wireless Social, Yapster, a myriad of order pay round, for instance, on, on the order pay apps have just been great. So I think you'll, you'll see that continue at a pace. That's interesting because a lot of that suggests we'll end up with contactless, less contact with people because actually I could enter the premises, I could put my meal off a virtual screen, get it delivered, 
pay for it without seeing somebody. So that almost decreases human interaction, which at the current time is absolutely understandable. Mm. But if I'm if I'm a colleague working in one of those establishments, that's going to probably change my role from more customer facing to maybe less customer facing. Mm. Which and I've read some stuff in the press that some of these text drive things like people saying they see less tipping going on because there's less interaction with yeah. with people. And actually that ability to upsell, you can automate, I think, to a degree, but it is that human interaction. If somebody just coming and checking in, is everything okay today? Is anything else can get you? We've got this on a special or can yeah. I talk to you about this? Maybe diminishes. So how do you see the kind of role of colleagues changing as, as it moves forward in maybe to more a tech-led world? Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think all of those things will happen. And, and you can see that now. You can see, you know, you the, the influence of tech in ordering and paying and that's reducing the contact that you've got with your server. But we are in hospitality. And I would really hope that whilst we can keep some of the efficiencies that we don't lose the fact that people don't go out to eat because they're hungry on the whole. They go out to eat to to restaurants and pubs and bars because of that socialising aspect. And part of that is the joy and the interaction of of, of, a waitress or a a server. You know, if you don't want that, you go to McDonald's. You can go and get fed easily, quickly, and no interaction. But I think for restaurants and pubs and bars – Part of it is this an occasion, it's an experience, it's costing me more money. And the part of that value comes from seeing somebody speaking to me and interacting with me and, and being nice to me and making me feel great. And people like feeling great. So I would hope that you know the role of the server, the role of the waitress, the role of the people in the establishment is still there when we come out of this, though I do expect there'll be much more technology involved. So I think if I was a if I was a server and I was working front of house, I would make sure that I was as skilled as I could possibly be. That I'm skilled back of house, front of house. I'm I'm skilled in social. I'm skilled in being in multi talented, being able to handle different roles, and make sure that I I am becoming valuable, if you like, on the front of house. So I, I, I can't bear it. And you know, read seven hundred twenty thousand people going to lose their jobs. I just can't bear it. Um, because it's it's a disaster for for them personally, and I just hate the thought of it. But I think in in the long run, if you can get more skilled, more qualified, more experienced, you, you should you should be able to keep your job or keep a job. I can't bear the thought of people being made redundant in the numbers they're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's really scary. But the bit I take out of that is tech can fill some parts, but not all the parts. So those again, creative organizations that drive experience through different ways maybe how you're greeted maybe how you're seated maybe how your table touched within or between courses could be the big differentiator because like you say if you don't want any service then you go to fast food takeaway i think so i think there will be a role and i think there'll be operators now thinking i don't want that to happen how do i maximize the exposure of of my teams with customers in order to add value uh, I can't see experiential stopping when we get back. And I think there'll be a role for people in that as well. So I'm, I'm not giving up on the value that teams add in-house. And I think it will it's going to come back and some operators really, really want to develop that. And it, in terms of how the actual physical space may look and feel 
differently moving forward. I know we've got screens at the moment between kind of booze in, in restaurants, lots of non-contact stuff from a payment point of view. I know we talked about the tech part, but the, the physical look and feel, do you think the kind of segregation and the screening off will stay or that will drift off and, you know, it'll be a choice of whether people wear masks or not moving forward? I, I mean, I think that's going to depend on on the rules for COVID, but I think the sooner operators can get rid of that sort of thing, the better. Whether they'll pack the spaces again and put tables back, I think they will in some and not in others because it's been easier for customers and their servers alike. So I think it's going to differ by operators. But I don't think that drive to have interesting sites, to have engagement when you go into a building, I don't think any of that is going to stop. And and one of the, the operators I think they've done you know really brilliantly well, again, through this is Dishoom. And you look at the Dishume developments. Be, I mean, every time I've been into Dishume since the middle of July, they've been packed, absolutely packed. And what's wonderful about Dishume is how absolutely imperative the, the service style, the culture, the attitude of the people in it is to the brand. You, know, you could close your eyes and be served by somebody in Dishume and know you were in Dishume because the service style is so di- distinctive. So I think that you'll find lots of operators actually wanting to make that service style a USP, um, just like they do. I think the Ivy is quite similar. The Ivy similarly has, I think, stood up well during uh, the pandemic, and they've got a brilliant design. I think what you've seen happen is that those brands that have got a brilliant design, have got distinctive service styles, have become destinations in town centres which have lost a lot of other traffic. And I think they've done well. If you were a normal operator, an ordinary pub, dependent on traffic, you'll have died. I can see that continuing. How do people make their sites into something that's very distinctive that people actually want to go to and become less reliant on footfall because it's not going to be there. Yeah, I love ruby chicken, is it? Chicken yes. ruby at dish, yeah. dishing. Yeah. And, and again, in my frequent visits to London prior to lockdown, it was a kind of destination if you could get in. Yes. The one in Kensington High Street always seemed to be the easiest, not the yeah. not the ones necessarily right in the centre. But an experience from your table's not ready, would you like to come and have a drink at the bar? And then you go in and you've got the ambience, you've got the theatre of being able to see the kitchen, plus the food's brilliant. You know, what? what's not to love? And it, it's not what you'd class as London prices either. So it, yeah. it's reasonable wherever it is. So it ticks a lot of boxes. And I think the owners are quite cool, aren't they, as well, and inventive they and are. creative. Um, they are. So, so that, that's a, a good model to follow, yeah. And yeah. A, a much as you know a lot more about hospitality than me, if I take take that and put my retail head on, yeah, the, the strong will survive. This, unfortunately, has probably sped up the demise yes. of those that, w- that were never going to anyway because they relied on high volumes, low margins, and that's probably not the game to be in moving yeah. forward. I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I would be looking, if I was an owner of brand, think how can I really differentiate it? And, you know, you've seen over the last even five to ten years that brands have, have morphed. You know, you can walk down a high street and see so many casual dining brands and you walk in and the menus are very similar, the dishes are very similar, the pricing is very similar. And actually, I don't think that's going to work in the new environment. I think it's going to be very difficult to be successful if you're just like everybody else. So I think brand owners will now be looking for how do I get some integrity, 
some provenance, some distinction, something that makes my brand stand out from everybody else's. And I think over the last, as I say, 10 years, I think they've morphed. And you could, again, blindfold any customer, find it very difficult to know which brand is different to another. But that wouldn't happen with Dishoom. You could absolutely know which was Dishoom. And I think a lot of brands will be looking to say, how can I differentiate now in the future? No, no, I totally agree. And it's been fascinating to chat. It's an industry we work in. You uh, do lots lots more work than us in there and always um, interested to learn more about it and find out. It, it's going to be a tricky six to eight months, but let's hope that the strong survive and as consumers, customers, we, we come out with better, different offers and, and more variety. Yeah. But uh, time will tell is, is the reality. Time will tell. And I, I can only hope that our, our passion for the sector stays and that the sector is... Um, resilient and robust and comes through strongly after all of this is over absolutely so if people want a further conversation based on what they've heard today and where's the best place for them to find you email me i'm on anne at a uk. and you're on people can find you on linkedin as well oh yeah 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 yeah. and i've I've got my own website which is www.aehc.co.uk Final question from me then, Anne. What's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? I don't know, really, because it's, it's a, a, a mixture. The, the one I abide by so much is one my dad gave me, which isn't business, which is if a job is worth doing, it's worth doing well. And that's, that's, that's fair enough, I think. That's the one I try and stick to. But it was my dad. It wasn't a business one. But but I've had some fantastic leaders you know, Mike Ty, I work for, who John Durkatch, I work for, so brilliant leaders who've all inspired me and enabled me to have just a brilliant career. And I'm forever grateful to this sector for, for giving me the life I've got. Good. Well, we'll take the one from your dad because it applies in all, all <laughs> parts of life, I think, doesn't it? If you're going to if you're going to do it, do it well or don't bother. That's, yeah. um, I like that. Yeah. Listen, it, it's been brilliant to chat. I look forward to catching up soon and stay safe and look after yourself. Great. And you. Thanks, Simon.